Hey all, it's Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you about our good friends over at Burgermaster. If you know anything about me, I crave burgers in my sleep. I do not mess around. Started in 1952, Burgermaster is the best burger chain in Washington State. They have locations all over the Puget Sound in Aurora, Bellevue, Everett, Mill Creek University, and Mount Vernon. Their fresh ingredients and classic driving experience make them the greatest burger chain in the state of Washington. Stop by Burgermaster on your way home from a Seahawks game. You won't regret it. Hey all, Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you guys about our good friend Blake Johnson of ManifestFit.com. Football season is quickly approaching, and it is a struggle to stay in shape while eating burgers and nachos. ManifestFit.com is your one only true online personal training service with workout and nutrition programs specifically based on your needs. They work with clients all over the U.S., and what makes Blake and ManifestFit.com so unique is that they don't believe training should be a luxury item. Now's the time to start. Head over to ManifestFit.com. Click on how to join and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder Seahawks fan life. The skyline is etched in my veins. You can never put that out, no matter how hard it rains. In my city. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 276th episode of Real Hawk Talk. I am Brian Nemhauser. You can find me on Twitter at HawkBlogger. We got a special one for you tonight, folks. I'm very excited. We uh, we rarely get to do special guests anymore. We're too obsessed about uh, lots of really stupid things like In-N-Out burgers and God knows internet connections in in Redmond or you know uh, Toronto. But tonight we have a special guest. We'll be introducing in just a moment. Um, and probably if you're watching this on a recording, you already know who the special guest is because his name's in the title. So you already know. It's not going to be too big of a surprise, but we're very excited about it. Uh, before I bring in our special guest, let me bring in the crew after a very triumphant Monday night football, folks. Holy crap. This is going to be fun. So um, uh, Nathan Ernst at Nathan E11. Nathan, how you doing, man? Pretty good. Pretty good. Have uh, Should we start thinking about what to do for our 300th episode celebration? That's that 276 Ooh. is such a big number. That's so that true. Far. We went pretty big with 200. That was like Mina and Katie Nolan and Joe Fan. Uh, you know, I don't know. We have to maybe have our guest tonight back on for that. That would be cool. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a good call out. Um so good to see you, Nathan. We will talk more in a second. Uh, Dana O'Gorman at Dana OG on Twitter. Dana, what are you doing on this Thursday evening? I'm still basking in the glory of Monday night. So everything is wonderful. It was so nice. It was, <laughs> it was so, so nice. Uh, and then finally, and, and certainly not least, Jeff Simmons at Real Jeff Simmons on Twitter. Jeff, what is happening, man? Uh, not too much, man. I don't know if you've had a chance to see any of the Thursday night game tonight, Brian. Uh, your favorite player. <laughs> on last year's Seahawks, was having a game. Cody Barden, man. I got a text message from Mr. Jeff Simmons like 20 minutes ago. He's like, are you watching this? Cody Barton sucks. <laughs> <laughs> did you see the play where he gets dragged for 20 yards? I did not see it. I did not. Go as on my as... Twitter. I tweeted out that one, and then the one he gave up the touchdown on the next play. It's pretty unbelievable. I mean, talk about addition by subtraction. There may never have been a, a better example. A- a- and immediately after you sent me that text, I went and looked up on pre- uh, uh, Pro Football Focus because I was just curious. Uh, out of all starting linebackers in the NFL that have had at least 150 snaps in the NFL, there's 55 of those. Cody Barton ranks 55 out of 55. <laughs> so... We weren't imagining it all these years, folks. He is truly not good at uh, at playing the linebacker position. Fine special teams player. Um, okay, we will talk more about uh, all things football and Seahawks, but let me bring in our special guest tonight. He, for folks that don't know, uh, honestly, like, is pretty special for me. Uh, I think special for a lot of our, our listeners here. When I moved to Seattle in 1997, um, out of, fresh out of school, I would drive into work. And I would listen to this radio show. Uh, and often uh, uh, it would kind of set my day in the right direction. Some of the best interviews with all people in sports you'll hear on any radio show. Uh, and uh, it was between hilarious and moving and insightful and taught me a bunch about how to do interviews. And and I have nowhere, nowhere near this person's uh, capabilities in that regard. But 
Um, really, really happy to bring aboard uh, uh, Mitch Levy, formerly of Mitch in the Morning, now of Mitch Unfiltered. And he's doing this, folks. He's doing this uh, Jeff Simmons style. He's doing it on the East Coast time. So he's traveling with family and he is gracefully uh, adding him, adding his time, us to our, his schedule, coming in here at late on the East Coast. And uh, Mitch, welcome to the show, man. How are you? Well, it's great to be here. Um, it's thrilling to have Brian on our show, Mitch Unfiltered, here on a weekly basis. But I've been wondering, what do I have to do to talk to Nathan, Jeff, and Dana? Like week after week, I've been pounding my head against the wall asking my wife, what do we got to do to get on with Nathan, Jeff? I mean, I can talk to Brian anytime. And the answer clearly is the Seahawks have to have 11 sacks in a game. And there it is. 11 every sacks time. is what it takes. So every time, I'm hopeful that I will get an invitation after every 11 sack performance by the Seahawks the remainder of the you season. You know, I'll make you a, a one-time deal here, Mitch. <laughs> they can just, we'll, we'll cut into double digits. Every double digits, you come on. We'll make I'm it in. simple. By the way, when was the last time? One of you guys should know. When was the last time the Seahawks had double-digit sacks in a game? Do we even know that? I can tell you if somebody else wants to talk for a second. I'll find that out. But I but, think it uh, wasn't it Green Bay. The Green I Bay will game tell you because I know like did they have nine or ten? Now I can't remember. I think it might have been eight or nine. This yeah, is fantastic. This is fantastic. Uh, you know, conversation. I, I'm sure people want to wait while I look. I, I will look I, this I, up. My fault. I, no, no, I love it. I love it. So, so. Mitch, um, yes. uh, I, I'm going to unfortunately not let you talk to the rest of the folks for a few seconds because I want to hog you. Uh, so so this is the first chance I'll ever have to actually interview the person who I've listened to do interviews all these years. And uh, so I'm just really curious. You are a fan of the Dolphins. That was your childhood team. Yes. Yes. And you are a fan of the Seahawks. Very much. Um, uh what you know what was your childhood like as a sports fan were you a one team fan right were you a multi-team fan were you a multi-sport fan how did your sports obsession begin well I, I was a kid who loved to play like just the, about the rest of us and and always wanted to be around sports for the rest of my life and it was very soon after I started playing that somebody told me that I'm never going to be able to make a living playing it. So <laughs> they had um, to tell you that you didn't figure that out yourself. Well, uh, you know, I still think I got a shot at 56, but um, uh, no, I was an all, I was, I played all the sports every season. I grew up in a, in a family with three boys. We all played sports. My family, my mother and father sacrificed everything that they were doing just to be with us. It was just a very similar uh, sports background to probably a lot of your listeners. And I love sports and I watch sports, but to your to your question, I grew up in in Palm Beach County, Florida, which is about about 90 minutes north of Miami. And I grew up in the 70s there. There was no Miami Heat. There was no Miami Marlins. There were there wasn't even when I started wa watching college football. I mean, college basketball, there was no Miami Hurricane basket. They actually did away with the Miami Hurricane basketball program after Rick Barry played there. So. I loved all the sports. I had favorite sports teams. The Braves, the Atlanta Braves were my favorite baseball team because they trained in my hometown, spring training, but and they were the closest to, to, to where I was. But there was nothing quite like the Dolphins because the Dolphins were everything in South Florida in the 1970s. And you know what happened in 1972, and you know the history of Don Shula and then Dan Marino after Bob Greasy. So, yes, there was always a great love affair between me and the dolphins that maybe didn't exist between me and the other teams that I, but I always had, I watched it all. I, the only thing I didn't watch was hockey. We didn't know anything about hockey. I see Jeff smile. And I, I, I mean, we didn't even know what ice, what ice was in our drinks. We honest to goodness <laughs> when, you know, in the old days, when you watch the news as a kid to see the sports section of the news, you know, like the five, six minutes local sports on the 11 o'clock news. Nobody does that anymore. I don't think anybody does that anymore. Um, they wouldn't even show scores of the NHL. It was like it didn't even exist. So I didn't I didn't get a 
no attachment to hockey, but everything else I loved. I played, I loved, but the Dolphins were my true love because team. That, that was the team that I went and watched and was 90 minutes away. Yeah. And they were great in those days. Right. So I, a couple more questions, then I'll turn folks loose. So uh, there's a big story that came out this week and it had nothing to do with the Seahawks. Uh oh. This was about the Mariners. And I think you've heard about this. And for folks that haven't, for Jeff and Dana, um, perhaps not. Their GM came out and said his his goal is to win 54% of the time. And honestly, Nathan, this this reminded me of conversations you and I have had over the years of of uh, what it means, what the goal is every year. And And he said something also along the lines of, Mm-hmm. If we made, if our goal is to win the World Series every year, if we tried to win the World Series every year, we could really fall flat, fall in the mud, and not be able to get back up. And so he had he had some points he was making. I won't go too much deeper. But Mitch, my question for you, lifelong Dolphins fan, and you can even bring this to the Seahawks if you'd like, 10 seasons, the next 10 years, you have a choice of two options. One, they win one ring. And they lose the rest of the, every other season is a losing season. Okay. One, one trophy. Mm. Every other season's losing. Mm. The other option is they make it as far as you want every year. Winning team every year. Do not make it to the Super Bowl. Do not win a ring. 10 straight years. Which do you pick? Oh, that is a really hard question. How come you didn't tell me before the show started that you're going to ask me that so I could prepare my answer? I, 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 for That's me, it's a very easy one to no, answer. I, I know that the, the easy answer is we want to win a world championship, but it might not be a real one. What, what's your, what, what's your, what's your gut? Why is that a hard, hard answer for you? I, well, I, it's a hard answer for me because I'm not willing. I mean, those are nine, nine pretty lousy years you're telling me I'm going to have with the world championship, right? Mm-hmm. Like nine bad, bad years. So I guess the first question I have for you is how long am I going to live? If I'm going to only <laughs> live 60, let's say I'm only going to live 50. I'm at 56 now. Let's say I'm 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 topping out at 57. You're going to live for all I, 10 years. I want the 10 years. I mean, I don't know how much time I've got on the earth. So, uh, yeah, the easy answer is I want a world. Cha- I know where you're going with it. I, I, I want a world. I cha- honestly am curious because, uh, Nathan, if I ask you that question, what would your answer be? I think I'd take the 10 years of winning. I think you would too. That's what you, that's consistent. That's what with I, would, I think I would too. That's I, I a think lot the, of winning. I think the point, I, what I thought, where I thought you were going, I'd love to hear what you guys think about this. Having heard the comments. Uh, I just, I actually just did a show on Mitch unfiltered. I do one with uh, Danny O'Neill, who used to be the, with the Seattle times and, and, and seven ten Cairo. And with us way back in the day on KJR, um, and we just talked about how poor the presentation by Jerry Depoto was. Like, if there was if there was any public relations firm that was working oh with the Seattle Mariners, and and they watched this, having no idea what he, they were going to say, what he was going to say, they would have said he violated every single rule, every possible rule to what he should have said behind that microphone. It was awful. And I thought you were going to talk about when he said. We were do for those of you that are patient, we're doing Mariners fans a favor. The last thing I think Mariner fans wanted to hear the day uh-huh. after they didn't make the playoffs, they were the odd team out, is we here at the Seattle Mariners are doing you fans a favor. Well, I, I, we, we, I, I, will, I know everyone's dying to talk Seahawks, which we will yeah. get to. But yeah. Jeff Simmons, uh, you know, did the Jays do you a favor by getting into the playoffs and getting, you know, you, you happy how the, how it's going for the Jays? No, I don't know if you saw any of that series against Minnesota. That was the most despicable. Yeah. I don't know if you saw game two where they pulled their pitcher after yeah. three innings. Yeah, that was a yeah. horrible team, the Blue Jays this year. Like you guys probably have music to all your Mariner fans' ears, but they had such an unlikable season and lost in such a pitiful fashion. Yeah, just when the Depoto thing's going on, Blue Jays fans, it's been ugly. It's rough. So. It's rough. So, Jeff, I want your answer to that 10-year question. What's for you? I'd probably rather take the 10 years of competitiveness. I think they're like the Giants, and they won those Super Bowls with Eli Manning, and you saw what they were on Monday night, and you saw what they've been with Daniel Jones and even the end of Eli Manning. And 
Yeah, it's great to have the rings, but being irrelevant for nine years is tough. Well, well, Brian, if I could throw one thing in, you can yeah. you can tie this to the Seahawks. Well, that's let's where ass- I'm going. Let, well, well, let's assume that the Seahawks, everything about the last 10 years was the same about the Seahawks, except for one thing. Let's say they lost to the Broncos in the in the first Super Bowl. So they lost to the Broncos and then they lost to the Patriots. And in the meantime, they've done nothing but essentially make the playoffs every single year and be competitive. Well, there's what you're talking about, right? That would be the scenario that you're talking about. It's been a pretty – I think it's been an exceptional 10 years regardless of the championship, whether they would have won that or not. And I think had they lost to the Broncos, we'd be sitting here saying, my God, what a decade of Seahawks football. Would we not be? I. This is where I'm different than than maybe the rest of this crew here. I wouldn't trade a ring for anything. I would lose for 20 years for a ring. Really? Like, I, I think that moment of being the best team in the league and being it. And I know Nathan's going to say, it doesn't mean you're the best team. I know, but it is how we measure the best team. And I wouldn't trade 2013 for almost anything. I, I like I hadn't wanted, I hadn't experienced winning a, a, a championship. I was too young when the, the Blazers won their championship Mariners have never made the World Series. Uh, I got the Huskies championship and, you know, shared co-championship with Miami. But, like, no, that that was amazing. So, I, for me, every single piece of analysis I do about the Seahawks is whether they're getting closer to a ring, not whether they're just going to be sustainable for, for 10 years. Dana, I, th- I think I saw you were you were on everyone else's side on this, right? You, you'd take the, the 10 years winning? I, I do struggle with that question just because the year the Seahawks won the Super Bowl, um, the, my favorite soccer team, Sporting Kansas City, also won their championship. So it was like the greatest sports year ever for me. And so I always am trying to get back to that. But at the same time, I don't want to watch a team that's unwatchable. Right. And so if they are, if it's like constant crap, like what's going on on Thursday night football, you know, I, I don't want to watch that. I don't know that I'd be invested after 10 years anymore, which maybe then I'll get a bunch of terrible fan quotes, but just saying, it's like, I think I would rather have a watchable competitive team, but I get it, Brian, because that year was insane for me. That's what it's all about to me. That's the whole point. Uh, well, you know, I, I got to call you out. I know you're the host of the show. Oh yeah, please do. Okay. Come on. Nathan, help me out here. The guy is sitting here telling us after he's enjoyed the Seahawks for 10 years of both, he's gotten both his cake and he's eaten it too. He's gotten the world championship and he's gotten nine additional years of great fun football. He's it's easy to sit up here and say, ah, I wouldn't trade the 2013 world championship. I, I'd like to see you be saying that if we've had nine straight years after the 2013 season of four and 12 and four and 13 football, you would, I don't know that you'd be saying the same thing. Easy. I you lived through the nineties. I watched Kelly Stoffer. Okay. I watched Okay. Uh, Rick Meyer. Right. I watched Dan McGuire. So, so I know what it's like to be one of the worst teams and have a decade of total futility. And the only reason that stuff's worth, I, I watched every one of those games. I obsessed about every one of those games. It's okay. Like I will always watch for me. It's all about whether you're going to be best. So like, okay. I hear you though. I hear you though. And I've been, I've been hogging the time. I'm going to, I will say before I hand it over, the answer to your question is 1992 is the last time that the Seahawks had 10 or more sacks. That was against the Philadelphia Eagles uh, at in Seattle, which uh, they lost 17 to 20. They actually had 10 sacks in that game and lost. So I have uh, to wait 31 more years after this appearance. It might be a while. Yeah, it might be a while. Will Nathan have any hair 31 years from now? Will he? Will he be? Uh, will you I'll come be- all the way back around. I'll have like a full head of hair. <laughs> Yeah, total, total 180. Uh, all right, uh, Jeff, um, any questions you've got? Well, we'll everyone's got uh, an opportunity for a question here, and then we'll uh, we're gonna get let Mitch loose and, and get to uh, get some rest. So, uh, anything you had for Mitch? How much you miss Joe Fan relative to Brian? Oh boy, <laughs> bastard. See, see, Jeff, <laughs> Jeff's got the. Got the got it going. Uh, I miss Joe Fan a lot, by the way. Um, uh, I'm sorry that he's not on the show. I think we really, really, and of course you expect me to say this, we we were caught when we fell backwards without Joe because Brian's been terrific. I mean, he just came right in seamlessly. Anybody who's heard it that's listening to this heard 
the uh, what we call the Seahawks no table. We used to call it the Seahawks round table on KJR, but since we don't have a table and it's everybody somewhere else, we call it the Seahawks no table. And it's Brady Henderson of ESPN.com, the Seahawks insider, and Brian. And Brian just kind of walked right in like he's owned the joint, like he like he's been there for the last five years of our of our podcast. So he's Nathan been great. smirking. That, he's that's smirking. Like Brian. Yeah, that, that, that checks out. He's he's been great. Um, uh, I'm thrilled to be on with you guys because I, you know, I thought, God, I got invited after such a, a terrific Monday night performance. And I'm, I'm still I'm still trying to figure it all out. I'd like to hear from you guys what you think about real or fraudulent and how much of it was about the Giants and how much about it was about the Seahawks and where do we go from here and do we expect that maybe the Seahawks defense turned a little corner after giving up 300 yards passing the first three weeks to the the three quarterbacks? I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm dying to hear what you guys – I've heard Nemhauser. He's already told me the answer. So let's hear some – we heard from the amateur, Nemhauser. Let's hear from the pros now. I'd like to hear from you guys what you think, whether it's real, completely real or not. I, Dana, you're dying. You're dying, dying. Again, Dana. Go. Here's the thing. Here, here's the thing with this game. First of all, it felt like a very Pete Carroll game to me. Like I just, it was super defensive, and the, the offense did what it needed to do, even through injury and craziness. This just felt like a fun game to me. And we fight about Pete Carroll a lot in our chat, and so I was just happy that he had this game. But you know what was interesting to me, Mitch, was watching this defense start to trust each other again. We saw that and got used to it so much with the Legion of Boom that they just trusted everyone was where they were supposed to be all the time. And you could feel that. And it was heartbreaking when Jamal went out. And I'm still gutted about that because he's one of my favorite players. But I do think that you're right that it's starting to click a bit because I feel like Quandary is a very kind of hot and cold player. Him getting that interception to me early in the season shows his trajectory up because when he starts to get streaky, he gets really streaky and he gets kind of on a roll. You see what Witherspoon can do. Woolen's coming back from injury. We're starting to get all these pieces in place. And, and it was just a lot of fun. So while I do think the Giants are a crap football team, I really do. I think that they are a disaster. And, and you could tell in their media and everything that happened this week that that's what, you know, that team is just a mess right now. I think this actually had more to do with Seattle and putting together the exact game plan that they needed because what are you supposed to do to crap teams? You're supposed to beat them, and they right. did, and they did it handedly. But they were supposed to do that with Carolina, which was considered a crap team. Uh, I don't think Carolina was, is a crap team, though. I think that's a little different, but and yeah. Their, and their offensive line was supposed to be a lousy offensive line. At least that's what Nemhauser told us on Mitch Unfiltered, that their he offensive line was going to – So, so – I mean, I hear what you're saying, Dan, yeah. and I, I, I hope you're right. I hope you're right. You know, the one thing that I would say, and I, I have been, I've been saying the word, using the word queasy for the last eight, 10 weeks about the whole Witherspoon thing, not playing, you know, hurt during training camp, uh, watching Jalen Carter in Philadelphia. I've, I, I've been a sucker. I, I'll, I'll raise my hand. I've been the sucker that's been saying, oh my God, what did they get themselves into? So Witherspoon comes out, and, and and Brian and I talked about this a little bit on Monday morning show. So Witherspoon comes out and he plays a great game. Obviously, he's the was he the player? Was he announced the player of the week? NFC Defensive Player of the okay. Week. Yes. Okay, I'm in, I'm in DC and I I've been running around. I didn't know that. So he plays a great game. But what I would say to Nathan and Jeff and 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 Dana is, what's interesting about Witherspoon is. And maybe I'm a pipe dreamer here. I'm gonna I'm gonna be I'm gonna put my Seahawks ha- cap on a little bit. He not only had a great game, but he's got an infectious way about him. There's something that's hard for me to articulate about the way he plays. It's one thing to come out and have a great like. Let's take let's take uh, Woolen for a second. We all like we all like Woolen, um, and he was great last year. But I don't know that I ever watched Woolen play last year, guys, and felt like, oh my God, he made everyone around him like, like can't, like he was a domino effect for everybody. There was something about there was something about Witherspoon on Monday night. It made me feel that that uh, that Quandre that Quandre Diggs came out. He 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 popped somebody right after, and some other defensive backs came. It, it there was something. There was something a little bit contagious to me about 
Witherspoon's performance on Monday night that seemed to filter to the rest of the team. Did you guys see that at all? He's got the same vibe as like a a Marshawn or a Sherm or uh, uh, this is kind of a weird one to throw out there, but like Hasselbeck kind of had that where like you just, I mean, he's quarterback, but like you just, you always felt them out there like, and they just had a presence. And yeah, I think uh, I, I was trying to think about this. Maybe somebody on here can uh, throw out a game, but like, I can't think of a game by any player that was more dominant than what we saw from Witherspoon. I mean, there's, there's, there have been, you know, great games. Like there was a clowny game a, a couple years ago and just for Dana. Uh, <laughs> and I mean, there's been lots of great games by Sherman and other folks, but like, I don't know, like, I guess Jamal Adams in that first game as a Seahawk, he was really. Well, Bobby, himself, Bobby but... Wagner's had games over the years where he's had 20 tackles or 22 tackles and, and dominated the game his first time yeah. around, right? Yeah. Like that. Yeah. But I don't know. I, I feel like this is one of the greatest performances I've seen from an individual player ever. And I know, like, that Giants team is crap. So, like, sure, put an asterisk on it. But it was amazing. Um, I was just tweeting while you guys were talking because, you know, I wasn't going to be involved in that conversation. And it is worth calling out the Seahawks the last three weeks. Uh, Geno Smith wins Air Player of the Week. Kenneth Walker wins Offensive Player of the Week. Then Devin Witherspoon wins Defensive Player of the Week. I'm not sure the Seahawks have had three weeks in a row of different parts, like passing, oh, running, no. defense, like not just good, but like best, like a player that is the best of the best um, for that week. It's an interesting trend we're seeing. And I think the question we all have to answer is like, what's the ceiling for this team? Like how good can they get and what is going to be their limiting factor? And I don't know, Mitch, if you have something that, right now like with what we've seen yeah. what do you think is the achilles heel of this team well i it, you're putting me on the spot you're going to make me say something that's going to be awfully unpopular but i still would say pass defense you, you, i mean i, I, I got to see it more than one week i mean this is a team that still in four games gave up 300 plus to matt stafford gave up 300 plus to jared goff gave up 300 plus to andy dalton though he threw it 55 times or whatever it was you know, you, you got to do it more than once against Daniel Jones and that offensive line. Um, but as a, as an old partner of mine on the radio, I think I said this to you the other day, Brian, Hugh Millen used to tell me, used to say, Mitchie, we'd sit at the shanty on Elliott Avenue across from the old station in, in Seattle, this little tiny hole-in-the-wall restaurant, and he would say over his uh, pancakes, he would say, Mitchie, football is – Hugh Millen, by the way, a former longtime quarterback, played at Washington – was a backup quarterback and a starting quarterback in the league. He'd say, Mitchie, remember, football is about five equal parts. An NFL team is five equal parts. Run offense, pass offense, pass defense, run defense, and special teams. They're five equal parts. And when you look at that, the run offense has been especially considering their backup offensive lineman has been fairly productive. I mean, even on Monday night, the one guy averaged 4.7 yards a carry, and the other guy averaged seven yards a carry. So it's been functional. It's been probably better than functional. Their pass offense wasn't good on Monday night, but we'll see. It's been okay. Their run defense, Brian points that out every time on Mitch Unfiltered, how great, how, how incredible their run defense is. And so, and you know, the special teams, I don't like the kicker. I like the punter. Um, but uh, I would just say, if you're asking me for the Achilles heel at this point, week four, after four weeks, I got to see it more than one week in the past defense, would be my opinion. Did did Hugh Millen really eat a microphone after the whole Russell Wilson thing? Never did. He never did? <laughs> never I, did. I thought he actually did. Okay. Oh, Never God. Said. And I, I think we should all write him and ask him, when is that going to happen? Oh, he would appreciate that. Fraud. Absolute fraud. Appreciate <laughs> it. We have someone on our show, Evan Hill, who was uh, supposed to get a tattoo of Rashad Penny on his nipple. Uh, what? Yes. And uh, for what? He he made a declaration on Twitter that if Rashad Penny had his first 100-yard game against the Rams many years ago, that he would get his his face tattooed on his chest with his nipple as the eye. Oh my and god! Then he did it, 
And there's actually, I think there was like a, uh, well, Rashad Penny did it. And then oh, there was, okay. there was articles that came out uh, interviewing uh, Evan. And eventually he was convinced to get a uh, temporary tattoo uh, on there. Uh, and he, 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 he went farther than Hugh, I would say. You know, I'd give him at least that. Did you guys, by the way, did you think, did you think that Jamal Adams flashed a little bit on that first drive before he got hurt? He looks. No, I love it. I I was super happy for him. I mean, he obviously came up and made that big hit. Uh, came up and made the tackle that he unfortunately got hurt on. But like, I I think we'll, we'll see what he ends up. I mean, give him time. Like, he's still his first game back. Probably should have had that first sack. I think you know old Jamal has that first sack. So we'll see if that's rust he can shake off or or not. I mean, I'm just saying, like. If we're is he is he a hundred percent? Is he a hundred percent? Is he a hundred percent? That is that is a wonderful wonderful Nathan take. Uh, we won't talk about Daryl Taylor missing the same sack after having <laughs> missed no time uh, later in the game on a fourth down, not con- outside shoulder containing. Dana, I know you have the real answer to this question. What do you think the answer is? I thought he looked fantastic, yeah. but we discussed this. You know what I mean? Because I again, huge Jamal Adams fan. But here's the thing. What we have noticed, we brought this up before, what we've noticed is that Pete Carroll is not putting these players out there until they are ready to go 100%. He sits on them. They're not on pitch counts. They're not slowly easing them back in. It's you are full go, go. And and so that's what I saw from him. And then the pure, you know, adrenaline rush from him, you could see in those. I think that's probably why a couple of his plays weren't perfect because he was too jacked up for it, to be honest with you. But yeah, I thought he made an impact the minute he hit the field. And and then, of course, it was just crushing to see him get that knee to the head. And it was awful. Well, but yeah, so I'm really excited to have him back. Very excited. Mitch, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show uh, and, and spending the time. We could spend all night. We, we are going to have to get to some patron questions and some other pieces, but... Uh, Let's make let's make a promise to bring you back and do this again. I think we all have more stuff to talk about. Hopefully, the Seahawks give us plenty to do that with. Tell us where folks tell, tell folks where they can find you on Twitter and uh, on on Patreon. Great question. Uh, I haven't been asked that before. Mitch underscore Seattle is my Twitter. Well, like X, whatever you want to call it. You Twitter, and then it's just yeah. it's just Mitch Unfiltered. We do a weekly show. That's free for everybody that comes out on Mondays. It's between two and three hours long, has three guests during the football season. Brian Nemhauser is one of uh, several guests that are on every week. Listen anyway. New Heisel is on. We have New Heisel and we have Brady and we have different guests. So that's a long one on Monday that's available to everybody. And then we do we do shorter shows for the Patreon subscribers. We do about five shorter shows that are about 30 minutes long with Danny O'Neill and my old friend Slick Hawk and uh, Randy Mueller, the former GM of the Seahawks, Dolphins, and Saints, and we do about four or five of those guys uh, for the for the patrons each and every week, and it's all called Mitch Unfiltered. You can find it just about anywhere. And thank you, thank you for what you guys do. I really appreciate the uh, the invite. I'd be happy to come back anytime, especially after double digit sacks, because as I, I told, I think I told you the story, Brian, real quickly. I I had a really a really uh, great relationship with Mike Holmgren back in the day. And he and I, you know, got along really well. And one day, you know, he would listen to the show. He liked the stories about my father and so forth. And he would call me and say, did he really do that? And that was great. And, you know, come over to the Seahawks. And he, I came over to the Kirkland office when they were in Kirkland to be with Mike, like his second year or whatever it was. And we're walking down the hallway. I can, I'll never forget it. Walking down the hallway to his office. You know, he's a giant of a man, mountain of a man. And he stops and he looks at me and he says, Mitch, have I ever told you that you're obsessed with the pass rush? (laughs) Because he was so tired of hearing me say not enough pass rush, not enough pass rush, not a he's so tired of it. He pointed me in the finger and I said, and and since then, that was like whatever year he came here to a year after he came here. I've been known as the guy that's been obsessed with the pass rush. So I'm happy to be here after double digit sacks. That's I hope perfect, it happens back again. Perfect association. <laughs> uh, you can find him on Twitter at Mitch underscore 
Seattle and uh, look up Mitch Unfiltered on any podcast uh, place you get your podcast. It's a great podcast, tons of great content and go support Mitch over at Patreon as well. Mitch, thank you so much and have a great rest of your trip. Uh, welcome back when you get here. Thank you. Thank you, All guys. Right. Nice to see you guys. Thank you. Take care. All right, folks. Um, that He is one of the best interviewers and best storytellers uh i've like he can spin a tale um i I, i'm pretty sure he had that experience all growing up uh that people just listen when he talks so he's uh he's definitely one to check out his podcast um so now let's 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 talk about this game (laughs) let's talk about this game uh who wants to go first who's like dying to talk about this jeff you've been a little quiet what's what's uh You've been a little up and down on the Seahawks. Are, are you, as your, are your expectations now where they were at the beginning of the season above your expectations beginning below? Like, where are you relative to where you started with this team? This game started to bring me a little higher. And so much of the things we've talked about over the past off season is just, a lot of like the issues everyone says, oh, Pete Carroll can't coach defense anymore. And there's certainly a case the last six years. It hasn't been great. But my pushback always is just the defense hasn't had really any talent. And I thought the talent's been weak for a while. This was a game where we saw the talent infusion, especially on defense, really come to life. And the thing I've been hammering on, and me and you've been talking about, Brian, for a year now, is you look at this team and who are the blue chip studs? Who are the guys who are going to be those studs, the players they've, I thought if, when I analyzed their roster, I think I thought one to 40, they were really, really strong. And as Nathan said, perfectly to his answer to Mitch before Witherspoon looked like a elite player and just having a guy that can just have that dominant impact on the game that raises your ceiling because they don't have a lot of those blue, blue chip players. You saw it couple of years ago in that one game from Jamal and Clowney. And we talked about it before, like those force multipliers and Nathan mentioned all his players. He kind of reminded me of Earl. Like when Earl looked absolutely dominant, that's sort of what Witherspoon looked like. And having a guy like that, I don't, and the crazy thing is this is his third game. He, he looked really good in that Carolina game. And then he was the best player on the field last game. Having a guy like that, it shows your ceiling. And just the force multiplying impact on the rest of the secondary, the fact that you can add to the pass rush and seeing some cool trends carry over from the week before where they did have a ton of pressures. You talked about, I know Carolina, they had what 13, I think they led the NFL in pressures that week too. Two weeks we're in seeing a row. Guys like Mario Edwards and kind of guys we scoffed at in the offseason, Jaron Reed and Draymond Jones flashed a lot. And Bobby had a fantastic game. Brooks and like, you watched Carn play tonight. I know I kind of joked about that. And you compared that to how Brooks and Wagner have looked. There is a talent infusion here. And again, the question to me was always who are those frontline players? And that's what kind of sets their ceiling against, say, a San Francisco. But seeing Witherspoon do that, to me, it has to raise my expectations in the ceiling of the team. Dana, you and I love defense. I mean, it's it is playing against you know new york and and we talked about this with mitch a little bit but um you know we don't really have a great offense we're going to face for a little while when you you know next team we're going to be playing is is the cincinnati Bengals. who are struggling with joe burrow but they do have jamar chase do you go into that game expecting something that looks like what we saw on monday night do you go into that game expecting something like what we saw against carolina what what what's your expectation for the defense starting the next time they play? I think that that's the probably one of the harder games to call. Let's be honest. We have to see how Joe Burrow looks this week. We, he's obviously injured. He's been playing injured. And so we don't know what we're going to get out of him. Then T Higgins had a rib injury this week too, though. He says he's going to play. I mean, they're banged up. It's a banged up team. So how well they put themselves together this week will determine a lot of what I think is going to happen the next week. But I think, 
I don't think that we will get this type of game again this year. I mean, it's definitely possible. I just think that this was such a blowout. And besides, let's be honest, Seattle loves a Monday night football game, right? Like they just love it and they love being under the lights. And so I think that that had a lot to do with it. I think this had a lot to do with the team, you know, really being jacked up to be back in that, in that stadium again. But if I'm looking at this objectively, I think it's probably a little more like Carolina. I think that the defense is going to, have their moments where they, you know, miss and, and people are going to, I hate to say figure out a player, but it does happen, you know, with Witherspoon, he'll have a little bit more on tape. They can do scheme a little bit better, but Cincinnati is a good team. I don't want to, you know, ignore them, but at the same time, they're a banged up team. So I really, that's hard for me to call until I see how they play this week. But I will say this, I will, I will say this once again, and I keep preaching this and people are probably sick of me saying it, but I'm going to say it again. Once Seattle gets all the players they want on the team, on the field at once, I think is where we're really going to see what this defense is about. Having Jamal there with Witherspoon, with, you know, in the slaughter, not in the slaughter, even though he said he liked playing nickel and, you know, or whatever it may be, you know, when they get those chess pieces set out on the field the way they want them, I think that's when we're actually going to see this team at full strength. And it could look a lot like what we saw this week against a bad team. Yeah. Yeah. Let's hope that's true. Nathan, what's, what's, what's a, who's a player that the, that people are talking too much about? Like it's getting, uh, it's maybe getting more pub than necessary. And maybe who's somebody who's under the radar. Like what's the story on this team that, that you think is not getting enough attention. Anything come to mind for either of those? Um, I think people might, I think, so there's two things that immediately come to mind and, and they're they're related to each other and it's JSN and the tight ends. I think people are talking too much about JSN. I think we're people are too, probably too worried about JSN uh, and we're not talking enough about the tight ends and the tight ends are, are why uh, like, I mean, you know, look, is it great that JSN is a basically a total non-factor? No, that's not, that's not good, obviously. Um, but the tight ends have been amazing. They've been doing all kinds of creative stuff with the tight ends. Um, between the, the how they use them, how they line them up, and the stuff that they're actually doing with the, the tight ends, and then how well they're all playing. Um, Noah Fant doing his best to make me look dumb. Uh, one of one of many players that's uh, achieved that. Um, uh, that th- I think that's just been an amazing story, and I'm I'm surprised that it hasn't gotten more traction with like the film heads too. Um, because it's it's unique and it's it's really neat. I think that I think that that's a fantastic call about Noah Fant. I think that's a guy like tight ends. We've talked about a little bit, but Noah Fant in particular, that guy's you know, I think he's second. Let me see. He is. He's a top five tight end this year, at least by numbers. Yeah, he's second on the team in receiving yards. Um, right behind, he's behind DK. He's above Tyler. Like, I don't think anyone would have predicted that. I'm not in receptions, but in, in yards. Um, speaking of predictions, we're through the first four games. Uh, anyone remember what they predicted the records were going to be after four games? Because Nathan and Jeff are the same. Two and two. You guys had a two and two. Dana and I, Air 5, both three and one. Dana, you had them losing in New York. I, we had the same exact predictions. We both had them lose New York. So so we, we were actually two out of four on our predictions, uh, technically, but uh, right there. Um, so I went and looked at this, and I, I saw that I had them losing to New York. And yes, like I had a very different them. team. Yeah. Yeah. I just watched them murder New York of the Giants. So like, but I could not remember for the life of me why I picked them to lose that game. Like, <laughs> well, the Giants were like they were just either a playoff good. team or they were very close to being that last year, right? Like they were, they were, but they they were, were a playoff team, fraudulent. Mm-hmm. Like they had a they had a negative point differential, right? Yeah, I just thought. I mean, Brian Dable, Wink Martindale, that was a well coached yeah. team. So I, I did expect them to be better this year. Monday Night Football and you know whatever it didn't turn out that way. My question for each of you before we start getting into patron questions, um, and by the way, this I will probably go well past eight o'clock forever. Can uh, stick around, but. Um, I'll remind you what your predictions are for the next four games. And I want to know, you know, not like for each individual game, but record. And again, the, the teams that they're going to play at Cincinnati, 
two home games in a row against Arizona and Cleveland. And then at Baltimore. Okay. If it matters at all to you, the Cincinnati and Baltimore road games are 10 a.m. games for what it's worth. Um, and, the, and the home games are just normal one o'clock games. Uh, I had them going two and two. Nathan, you had them going two and two. Jeff, two and two. Dana, two and two. Jeff, what what's your expectation right now about what, what the record's going to be for those next four games? I'd put it the next – I'd put it three and one. I'd put three and one. Uh, some of it has to do with injuries. Uh, some of those teams a little less formidable than I would have guessed. And there's just some things I've learned. Like, I thought one of the reasons Seattle would struggle against the Giants, I picked them to lose that game, was I thought the interior offensive line was still a bit of a problem. And, and, and if you would have told me that going up against Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams that you would basically have five backups – and they would be a non-factor in the game, I would have laughed in your face. And I really don't think that storyline is being talked about enough. And I know there's been some videos on like how good Olu looked and some of those things. And I would have been shot. You just you've seen you you tweeted the other day the job Andy Dickerson's done. I thought when both tackles went out that this team was screwed. I thought they were gonna be seriously in Caleb Williams territory. I thought the offense would just collapse. And the fact that they went three and oh without them. And now you're getting on teams that are, look a little banged up. Cleveland, their defense looked pretty good, but their quarterback's hurt right now. Cincinnati's been shit this whole year. Arizona, I was a little better than I would have thought, but they could go 4-0 even during the stretch. Baltimore's a tough team. That's a tough matchup for them. But They're getting Marlon Humphrey back as well. Yeah, they're getting a little healthier. The receivers are coming back. But I think there's every reason to think 3-1. and one. Nathan, how about you? You you were two and two. What what would you be your expect expectation now? I'm just not quite ready to give up on the Bengals, I guess. Um, and the Browns are a tiny bit frisky. What is the Deshaun Watson prognosis? I think he's supposed to be like yeah. fine. He should be back. That team's much more about their defense. I mean, they are like the best defense in football by a lot of metrics. Yeah, until yeah. this week they got crushed. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I don't know. I mean, like three. I, I definitely feel like three and one is much more likely now than I did at the start of the year. But <clears throat> I'm not going to be sad if they come out of this two and two. Dana. Same, same. I can see them beating Cincinnati now, especially if they are not getting those players back. Um, where I didn't see that as a win in any way for them at the be before the season started. Um, but. Um, I still think that that Ravens team is just going to be way too strong for them. Just, I don't know, containing Lamar Jackson will be harder. So three and one makes more sense, but I'm with Nathan. If they end up two and two out of that stretch, I'll be thrilled. Here's the thing. I I think, I think we're all shell shocked from the first game (laughs) and from watching the defense for the first three weeks. And I think the last five years, (laughs) I think we are forgetting the fact that Charles cross is going to be back after the bye, and that Abe Lucas is going to be back hopefully the week after that. And that the offensive line will actually be able to be intact and that they'll be able to not have to play two and three tight ends as often. And and that Jamal Adams will be back. And I think he did look good and, 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 I think it would. I think it, I will be disappointed if they lose any of those games. At this point, I believe. I. I. I actually like. I think Baltimore is good. I. I don't think that that's a great matchup for Baltimore. I don't think what Baltimore does matches up well. I think Witherspoon and Zay Flowers is a wonderful matchup. I can't wait to watch that. Um, but we'll see. Like we'll see each week. But that doesn't mean it's going to happen. And I could look totally stupid for saying it. But that's my honest. Like those teams are not good. Other than Baltimore, those teams are not good. So um, we'll see. Uh, it's going to be it's, uh, these next four games. They're pretty key to determining like what the ceiling is for this team, because none of these games are like good luck. You got no chance kind of games. Each one of them, even if you're not sure what they're going to do, e- they got a chance to win each and every one of those games. Honest to God, if they come out of those games three and one, that makes me feel a lot better about all those games right after Thanksgiving and after. Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like we get a little bit of cushion. Plus, 
I feel like, and I can't wait to watch San Francisco versus Dallas because I want to see Dallas against a real team and see what happens. But I think if they come out of this next four-game stretch, three and one, holy cow, that changes a lot for me. I don't know if it does for me. Like, I think two and two and three and one here isn't a huge. Well, I'm just, so I'm looking at the. Uh, it was so, just funny. <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, so the Niners will play five games over the next four Seahawks games, right? Because of the vibe. Um, the Niners have the Cowboys, the Browns, the Vikings, the Bengals, and the Jaguars. Like, there's a very good chance that that team is, what is that, eight and one or nine and no. And so, you know, even at six and two, uh, I mean, six and two or five and three for Seattle, I don't like you're still trailing the Niners in a big way. Um, now you have two games against the Niners to make that up. Um, but, you know, I think if we're talking about what really swings the season for Seattle, it's it's winning the division. Um, and if they don't go four and zero. I think it's going to be hard to see them doing that. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's a totally different conversation. I, I think the 49ers are really in a league of their own, at least in the NFC. Um, I know the Eagles are 4-0, but I don't think they're anywhere near. I don't think they're anywhere near the 49ers. Yeah. I think this, this game this week, Jeff, Niners against yeah. Cowboys, that's going to be fascinating. Um, uh, Cowboys played pretty, pretty well last year and their defense is pretty good. Unfortunately, they lost uh, Trayvon Diggs or, or whoever it was, their cornerback. But um, I'm not, I, I'm not, my mind's not about like whether the Seahawks are competing with San Francisco. I'm all about like how many wins can this team stack up and how much better can they be? And can they make that competitive? Can they, could they potentially win one game against San Francisco? I think at this point, say no. I think it's a pretty clear, like, no, but I'd say that about almost every team in the league. So like measuring against San Francisco feels a little pointless until either they get injured or, you know, something significantly changes with these teams. Um, but yeah, you're right, Nathan. I think, I think, I think divisional record is, is they already lost one in division. They, they can't, they basically can't lose anymore. Um, if they want to, if they want to win it. Um, Dana, would you mind pick, pulling up Patreon questions so we can start covering some of those while you're doing that? Folks, if you haven't given the show a like, please do that. Uh, subscribe to the channel. We're growing the community. Love to have you. And go over to patreon.com slash hawkblogger. You can sign up, be part of the Slack community. Uh, hundreds of folks on there. Really good folks. Uh, it's not easy making friends in the post-pandemic world. Why not join the Slack community? Share your love for the Seahawks with other nice people. It's a good crew. And all proceeds go to charity. $260,000 plus have already been donated. You can be part of it. Patreon.com slash Hawkblogger. Dana, let's take uh, let's take a few questions. What do you got for us? Well, I just want to make sure you don't want Nathan to do it because supposedly he's so much better. No, I was very particular in who I asked. <laughs> we know who Brian refers. So. <laughs> All right, so let's see here. We're going to start with, um, oh, I'm just going to butcher your name. It's K-A-Y-L, it's very long, so um, I'm so sorry. I'm just going to say that. How good is the Bengals' offensive line compared to the Giants and the Panthers' O-line? Could our defense have another feasting in the backfield against the Bengals? I don't know. Is there is their O-line the part of the team that's real bang, banged up? I'm not sure. I don't think they're particularly bad. I just don't think they're particularly good. Okay. And they've they've spent a lot of money on offensive line. They just haven't been getting returns. Like they paid, they got Orlando Brown from Kansas City come and play of tackle. And they've spent a lot of money on some other guys. I can't remember the, one of the guards. They signed Lyle Collins last year for big money. He's already been released. Uh, and Brian could probably pull up the PFF grades, but oh, I just think their ranking. Well, they're one of the they're in that tier with Carolina and with the Giants. So I don't think it's injuries. I just don't think so. That's been part bad. of the reason. That's part of the reason the whole team sort of collapsed this year. It's uh it's Kaliana Raman. Thank you. Yeah, happy to assist with so. the Slack question. He's just so. trying to flex on you as a as a Patreon host. Well, I feel bad when I can't pronounce a name and I didn't want to butcher it. So actually I appreciate I that. I think that's so, very kind of you. Whatever. 
Okay. So this one is, let's see, from Eric. So we saw how effective the defense could be against a poor Giants team, but how do you see it stacking up against the best teams in the league? Was it truly an unlock and indication of what we will see the rest of the year? Nathan, I we talked about this a little bit already, but what's your definitive on that? I mean, <clears throat> it is early. It's hard to say. Uh, but I think they had uh, – they were basically full force for at least a second. And then they, they lost Jamal uh, and they looked awesome. They looked like everything. I mean, obviously like unbelievable game on defense. Um, so, you know, obviously probably not going to repeat that the rest of the year uh, or not often. Um, but I think it's, it's, I think it's really encouraging, you know, with all the asterisks and all the discounting it for the giants and yada, yada. Um, I think you have to be really encouraged that when they looked good, that when they had their best players out there, they looked incredible. Agreed. Okay. So this one's from Imani. Um, it's kind of a long one. It says, we've all been really hard on the coordinators the past few years. I know I have. I wanted to provide Pete and Hurt with some credit on something. That nickel blitz has changed our season defensively. Trey Brown and Spoon both cashed in on it multiple times, and I think it's been a perfect counter to how teams destroy us with run, running <laughs> running back checkdowns, wheels, and screens. It'll start forcing running backs and tight ends to stay, in, stay home in protection and aid our coverage. What's something else you guys would give our coordinators credit for this season, Brian? Well, I mean, it's easy to go to the offensive line. Sure. Um, you know, so I, I've done that before. So I'll stay away from Andy Dickerson because that's probably too easy. Um, I'll go with Carl Scott, you know, um, and, and this is also kind of a, a double a double dose because I think there's a there's a player story that's getting under told like under told as well. And that's around Julian Love. Um, Julian Love was one of the worst safeties in the NFL through the first two weeks of the season. He's one of the top 10 essentially in the last two weeks. Um, and I, I hadn't, I hadn't actually looked that up until tonight, but I just, my eyes were telling me that he's, he, that his game against Carolina was much better than what he had played. He's starting to find his, his footing. I thought his game against the giants was excellent. And so I think that the safety, like that secondary and figuring out how to um, play the three safeties, how to like utilize some of the the guys that they have. I think that's starting to find its footing. And for me, that makes me particularly excited for when Jamal gets back. I think this becomes a much more uh, aggressive, fierce defense um, and full of guys that are playmakers. So I'll give Carl Scott a little shout on that one. Awesome. Hold up, Dana, because I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna tag in on this one. I'm actually gonna swoop swoop in here and steal this next question because you have to answer this one. I do. Oh, from Lord. Zach, you have to answer the question from Zach. If you had to choose one to have on the Hawks, would you rather have a healthy Jamal all year or a healthy Witherspoon? All year? Witherspoon. And that is not a slam against Jamal because I absolutely—it's wow. not slander. Ooh. He's a rookie. He needs the reps. He needs to be on the field, right? That's how he's going to look. Plus, he looks great. Um, Jamal, we have we have lived through not having him before. I just think he makes the team so much better. But if you had to go a whole year without one or the other, I'm going to want that rookie to get all that time. I'm going to want him to get those reps and, and to see how much he can grow. I think that that is 100%. I mean, we all know Jamal is toward the end or uh, the end of his career. So we want the young guy to get it. So isn't he like 26? No, he's like almost 30, isn't he? I mean, he almost retired. So 27. Oh. Oh, see, so then we can have him for years just to torture you, Nathan. Makes me so happy. Yeah. Love it. Love it. All right. So, um, Jeff, this one's coming to you. <clears throat> Pardon me. And I'm going to switch it up just a little bit. Who is a player you'd like to see Seattle get before the trade deadline? I'd like to know if you would like Seattle to get a player before the trade deadline. And what do you think it would cost? That's a, that's a hard one to do off the top of my head. Let me take a look at the standings for a second. Can I can I like change this question a little bit maybe because just take uh, over Nathan you're great now no 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 I, I'm trying to buy time here uh, <laughs> for Jeff I, I'm helping um, 
<laughs> what is even the position that you go to when you ask, like, when you think, okay, who we're going to trade for? What position do you go to and say, well, this is a place where we should add? Because, like, nothing comes to mind for me. I think that's what makes it, like, this a really hard question is, like, I don't know where I feel like they need to go do something. Kicker. Yeah, like, they all. that's the problem with the question to me. Like, if you can go out and get, like, a Max Crosby. Oh, yeah. And he's going to cost two first-round picks. Like, are you going to – I don't know, but, like – I think that's the difference between the Seahawks ceiling. Like they, if they had the dominant edge rusher or dominant interior defensive lineman with everything they have around them, and you could put that in, then that's the thing I could really push them over the top. But do you want to pay those prices? Right. Probably not. Like when you're doing a deadline deal, you're probably hoping to give like a fourth round pick or what they did to Carlos Dunlap a couple of years ago. It's hard. Is, like isn't it still the, the same? Much. Isn't it still the same though, Jeff? Like, isn't it still like if you can get a DeForest Buckner, if you can get a defensive tackle, yeah. Jaron Reed's writhing around on the ground the last two weeks. And if he goes down, Cam Young started to actually play okay, but like that's well. it. That's it. There's no more after him. Well. Yeah. So, so like that defensive tackle group, they've been playing well, but Mike Morris is out for the year. You know, I definitely would like, I agree with you guys. It's not like as obvious as it was. But that's still the spot I would I would mm-hmm. add to if I could. Yeah. Um, let's see. Um, Nathan or Brian, either one of you. So this one's from Richie. Do you think it would be counterproductive to put Witherspoon back on the outside going forward with how he looked at nickel against the Giants? Or are we overrating a performance against an obviously inept offense? I, I think that's – first of all, it's a little bit of a um, – misformed question misinformed question i mean he was playing on the outside he would move into nickel when um they needed to be a nickel so i think he is still playing on the outside i think i think what they're asking the the question is meant to say is should he stay outside and just stay outside and have someone else play nickel i think this team is better with trey brown on the field than it is with kobe bryant on the field or even with Artie burns on the field and those are your other real nickel options um trey brown has not been practicing as far as we know at nickel if he could i'd be interested but witherspoon is custom made for that spot i don't know why we would be trying to get him out of it let trey brown play outside um when they want to be in those situations i think that gets the best out of each of those players and i think it makes the team uh much more dangerous i like how could you not watch that game and see the if you it's not even just that he blitzed his instincts, his disguising of when he did it, how he did it, how quickly he got there, the angles he took. Um, this guy has pass rushed six times in his career, and he's either hit or sacked the quarterback on four of them. Like, <laughs> that's not normal. So, uh, yeah, I don't want him going farther away unless he has to. Absolutely. There's a, a handful of questions about JSN. So I'm going to try and kind of group them all together. Um, PMM wants to know, when do we think JSN will start getting targets past five yards? There's a couple of people asking about five yards. Um, and then um, D Crockett says, are we turning JSN into a thing long before it needs to be? Um, what What is your take, Nathan, on JSN? And, and, I, and I, th- I think we talked about it a little bit last week, but, you know, what do you think the what's the deal with that? Yeah, I think uh Professor Crockett's got it right. Like his he, he goes on to talk about, you know, DK Lock Titans playing mm-hmm. so well. Yep. And I think that's really the problem is that there are so many good pieces to this offense. Um, it's hard to highlight JSN. Uh and I think what's actually maybe doing him a little bit of disservice is like I, I don't think he's going to be like, he's terrible for all this screen stuff and short passes, try to get the ball in his hands. But like, it's clearly something that they're trying to like manufacture these touches for him, um, which is probably ultimately a positive uh, that the coaching staff is going out of their way to make sure he's involved and rewarded. Um, you know, if he was disappointing in practices, I don't think that they would be trying to do that for him. Um, we know Pete is not going to super care about your draft status or anything like that. Like if you can't play, he's not going to give you those, those plays. Um, 
So I, I think he's really, it's really just a factor of this being an incredibly deep and well-balanced offense. And um, he's just kind of a little lost in that right now. Yeah. Makes total sense. Um, all right. So there have been, this is from Eric. Also, there have been a lot of complaints about scheme on both sides of the ball. What is helping us be better this year? Is it the scheme or the players, Jeff? I'd say a combination of both. I think defensively, we talked about it a little bit in preseason, but they have schemed a lot differently with their front, especially in run defense. And I think also you have to admit a lot of the playing they've, like I talked about it when Evan was telling me that we're gonna, the defensive line, run defense is going to be unwatchable. I said, Bobby is going to have an impact in run defense. And if you watch the run defense last year, there was a lot of plays where it was Barton or it was Josh Jones. Mm-hmm. And so I think you have to give Clint Hurt credit there. And I think Pete and him, I think Pete really oversaw that. But a lot of like the film guys will tell you they've really schemed their run defense, especially really well. And they're, had answers to everything. They're the top three run defense. And some of the players they brought in, like we all scoffed at Jaron Reed and Mario Edwards, and they've done a really good job. And mm-hmm. they haven't missed guys like Al Woods and Puna and Shelby Harris and all this angst about those guys leaving. Didn't really heard much about any of those guys around the league. And so I, I think the, defensively, it's definitely a combination. And I think offensively, I thought Shane Waldron did an awful job in week one. And I think the last three games, he's done a fantastic job. And Nathan did a great job talking about the tight ends. I think the way they've used those tight ends schematically have created a lot of easy throws for Gino when he's getting protected. And Gino didn't do much in the last game, but he didn't need to. And just some of the ways they've schemed and like that Detroit game, their tight end sets and the Carolina game, the second half, some of those like two tight ends coming out of the backfield and the way they've used all three of the tight ends. It's been really, really creative. And I think Waldron has done a really good job with some very clear limitations up front. And just the way, like, seeing those five guys are creating easy running lanes for the running backs in the second half of the Giants game. I think a lot of that was good coaching and good scheme. And I think since week one, which was sort of pretty much a disaster on both fronts, I think they have done a really, really good job with scheming. I have some issues with how they've used JSN and but that's such a small factor. I think there's too much energy spent on that right now because they're three and zero in the last three weeks, and they've getting better on defense. And mm-hmm. I think you get coaches deserve credit. You know, it's interesting. Pete brought up that Rams game again this week in his radio show. It, it's eating at him, and that's why I don't think that there'll be mistakes like that again. At least I hope not. All right, there's two more. All right. So after four games, this one's from Derek Woods. Um, after four games, what's your assessment of the front seven? Brian, this one's going to come to you. Is the talent production and depth that um, uh, interior linebacker, outside linebacker, defensive end and tackle sufficient to match the secondary for a strong D? Or do you believe the Hawks need to get a player or two before the trade deadline? Just what's your assessment of that front seven so far? Because we already talked about the trade. I've been wrong about the linebackers. I mean, I, I expected Bobby to be good against the run and good in like keeping the team in the right formation and, and being smart and, and that kind of thing. I think he's been excellent. I think he, I think he's having one of his best seasons um, through four weeks. It's kind of crazy. Uh, Jordan Brooks has been way, I didn't expect him to even playing at this point. He's been playing well this last game. He was really good. And that's super encouraging. I, I've been wrong about Devin Bush even. I think Devin Bush, when he's been out there, has been good. And then we already talked about the defensive line. Here's a crazy thing for you you all. Um, the Seahawks are tied for the NFL lead in sacks now, right? What if I told you, like, what do you think their top, the, the 